The first year of business is very difficult, but it is also the foundation for breaking you. And once you are broken, once you let go of the ego to succeed, what do I tell my friends and family at the barbecue? What does my mother-in-law think of me? What do all these things that are on your back and you have to sort of project that you're doing well? Once you fail, and failure can mean a lot of different things, but once you get punched in the face by running your own business, you are somewhat liberated because you start to pick up patterns and you start to figure it out. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm so glad to have you with me, as always. And I've got a great guest on my episode today. I know you're going to love hearing from Peter Esho, who was on the show about six or seven years ago when the very first year I had the show. And one of the things that people say to me all the time is they say, gosh, you always bring great guests on. It's like you think about who is really going to benefit us or you bring people on that really speak to us. And today is no different. I know that I always say, You're going to love my guest. I love my guest. This is one of my favorite people. But Peter truly is one of the most amazing individuals I've ever had the opportunity to meet and work with. And we met a number of years ago when I worked with Peter. And he's such the ideal person to work with because he was already on television. He was already out in the world, using his voice in big ways. And he knew there was something more. He knew that he's the kind of person that is always growing, always learning, always believing there's more to learn and there's there are more ways to improve. And that makes him an incredible leader. He's got an incredible team. He's got an incredible company. And I've had the opportunity to reconnect with him and work with him and his team. So I've brought Peter on the show today to talk about voice and communication and his work and how he and his team are making a difference in the world. I know you're going to love hearing from him because we're going to talk about a lot of great things around leadership and making a difference and this absolutely upside down world that we're living in right now. Peter is the co-founder of, his company is called Wealthy, and that's Wealthy with an I. And his background is in investment management and real estate investment. And prior to starting this company, he worked with Morningstar Inc. and Invest Global. He had his own company. He's truly an entrepreneur at heart. And he knew from an early age, I think, that he was going to do big things in the world and he's doing big things in the world. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. And I want to let you know that the podcast that I've referenced and all of his information, in case you want to get in touch with him, 
will be linked in the show notes. So let's head on over to the show. I want to introduce you to Peter. Peter, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back, Tracy. It's been a long time since the last time we did this, and I'm glad that I've got another invitation back. So thank you. Well, it's been too long, actually, since you've been back on the show because you were on the show my first year. I was on the show. I remember it, actually. Yeah, we were talking. It was a really good conversation. We didn't have the opportunity to do video, and now people actually get to see my ugly face. So (laughs) thank you for revealing that. No, you know, I think that when we did that first interview, I actually think you were in your car. Yeah. And I was so impressed because I cannot I can barely drive, much less talk to somebody. And here you are doing a podcast interview, but you're a real pro at this kind of thing. So let's just dive in and talk about some stuff. It's, I guess, it's been about seven years, maybe, since I met you, worked with you. Now we're reconnected. And a lot has changed in your world since I met you over those years. So let's just give a little bit of backstory on who you are and what you do. And you can take us through the timeline if you want. Okay. First of all, I'll address the elephant in the room. Why is this guy standing outside? And the reason is I'm in Sydney, Australia at the moment, as of the time of this recording, and we're in a lockdown. We've been in a pandemic lockdown for the past three or four months. And so I decided to turn my balcony into my office. I decided to stand during the day and work from a standing desk. And it's helped. It's made a big difference. So if you are finding yourself crammed at home and in lockdown, particularly if you're in the Northern Hemisphere and about to go into winter, this works. So I'd highly recommend it. But I digress. Uh, Back to your question. It's been a long time and... I've probably been doing media for a good 10 years. And about halfway through that, I found that I wasn't really happy with myself. I think we all mature and as you go to the gym and you work out or like anything else that you learn in life, you grow up and you need a coach. And I turned to you to help me address what I found as a stumbling block. Yeah. And it's, you know, I always love having the opportunity to work with people like you. You already brought so much to the table, but you see the value in the work. And that's, to me, those are the people that really continue to level up are the people that know that there is a level up. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if there's no more room for growth, you're doing something wrong. You're in the wrong lane. You need to find a new lane and a new game because life is all about growth. Life is about learning new things. Life is about challenges. We don't stop growing biologically and we shouldn't stop growing intellectually, professionally, artistically. I guess this is some form of art, being able to communicate with each other. So, yeah, absolutely. There's always room for growth. Well, do you think... You've been on, I mean, y'all have been locked down as long, if not longer than we have here in the States. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much we're going to talk about your work. So y'all don't worry. We're going to talk about what he does. And I am going to link the 
episode from so long ago, and it's going to be really fun to listen to them side by side. Oh, yeah. I will, yeah, I will link that in the show notes. But before we dive into the work, because your work is really amazing, and I know especially my Australian audience is going to love to hear about you if they don't know about your work already. But I want to, you said such a great thing about leveling up communication is so important. What a great skill. Have you found that even more valuable since you've been standing on that deck on Zoom for 18, 24 months? Now, I don't know, maybe you did Zoom stuff before, but have you found it even more important to really know how to talk and communicate and bring things to life? Absolutely. This is a new form of reality because we went from a person-to-person environment, anything that was serious was always done face-to-face. I will talk to you over the phone. I might do a Skype if you're in another country, but if we're doing business, let's organize a time to do face-to-face. And you gain a lot with face-to-face, and that's missing here, that tangible form of communication. And we're very judgmental as human beings. We're very distracted. As I'm talking to you, my phone's going off. I've got pop-ups all over my browser. And if I don't connect with you immediately, I really am starting on the back foot. And we judge. This is a very two-dimensional. It's not a three-dimensional. If I walk into a room and I'm running late, hey, sorry, you know, you wouldn't believe what happened outside. And you're coming from the same environment and we're meeting together and we're in the same room, but you're sitting now some way completely different. If I'm sitting and I'm not standing up, the reason why I started standing up was because I just found I could express myself better. I'm more me standing up and having a conversation than sitting down, staring into this weird dot on my computer and having to do every form of communication that I'd automatically do, ordinarily do this way. So standing up has helped a lot. Standing outside, has helped and we're fortunate in Sydney that we've got great weather and they can't do it anywhere, but you've got to just go with the flow and shake the vibes. And, you know, let me just say something to the listeners, because I know a lot of you think, oh my gosh, I'm terrible on zoom. I don't like video. I don't, this is a man who was rock solid, super great on television. Okay, that's saying, okay, whoa, this is a whole different deal. This is a whole new challenge. So I want you to make a note of that because I know so many people that listen to the show think I can't do this. And you're a pro and you're saying, okay, this is a whole nother level. Yeah, I thought I was. And just to give people a bit of a background that don't know sort of my experience, I was always never shy as a child to talk on stage or a bit of a loud mouth and that manifested into a confident student that was always willing to stand up on stage and say those things. wasn't really a professional or anything like that, but I had confidence in my ability to talk. And then in my professional life, I started working as an analyst and being an analyst is sometimes boring. And so any opportunity to get interviewed or to jump into a discussion, I'd take that. And around 2011, there was a role that opened up for me and it was basically 
the guys that you see on the news talking about all the boring stuff, which is finance. They wear those suits, they stand on those trading <laughs> desks and there's big logos in the background and they're usually talking about things that you don't understand. That was me. And my career went from a desk job to basically talking on TV five, six times a day, doing the circuits on all the business channels and talk, 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 talk. And then marketing changed. PR changed. The digital world changed. We all went from watching television to watching YouTube to watching things on Facebook. Instagram hadn't even come out as a thing back then, yet alone TikTok or all the other stuff. And I became self-employed. And when I became self-employed and starting my own business, I did the media circuit. I continued to do the interviews, but I also had to now create my own content. Very different. You know, you go from walking into a studio and someone does your hair and a bit of powder and makes sure that your tie and your jacket are all clean and you go into this shiny studio and you're doing your own content, you've got the camera there and the tripod and people in the background, you lose control. And then you have to perform. It's a performance. You have to watch it and ship it and post it. And it was a very, very different vibe. And that's when I reached out to you. Yeah. Yeah. And so thank goodness for YouTube, because I think that's where you found me. Absolutely. Here is a guy in <laughs> Sydney, Australia that has never done anything like this. My professional network were always business guys. Who do I turn to for something as unique as this? Went to YouTube, stumbled across you, reached out to you, and thankfully you were a very responsive person, and we got the ball rolling straight away. Yeah, and it was great to work with you. Okay, so let's back up just a second. When I met you, you had your own company, and now you've got a different company. So let's talk a little bit about that and the work that you do over there now in Australia. So I used to work in the stock market. I used to be a stock guy. Actually, we used to work for an American company called Morningstar, based in Chicago. Those that follow stocks or buy stocks would have known the name. And my passion was always real estate. It was, I grew up in a family that was investing in real estate. And my grandma used to ask me, my grandma never went to secondary school. She got married when she was 16. And my granny would ask me, hey, so what do you do? She come, my parents come from Iraq. And I couldn't explain what a stock market analyst was. Like there was no such thing in the <laughs> vocabulary, right? And my grandma used to always say to me, buy a house. Have you bought a house? Have you bought a house? Did you buy a house? Buy a house. And she knew, granny knew more than me, even though I'd worked with sophisticated models and all this complex financial stuff, grandma's advice was buy a house, buy real estate. And when my wife and I came together, uh, got engaged and got married, I knew it was important to set some type of financial plan or understanding. And she's artistic and she studied science and I'm an analytical guy. And our plan was, after a lot of negotiation, let's just try to buy 
one piece of real estate or do one real estate deal per year. We shook on it and that was our financial plan. And so I evolved from this stock market guy that was always told to buy stocks to this real estate guy who had a financial background. And I saw an opportunity to build a business there. And after having three children under three and $3 million of investment loans, I decided to step out of full-time employment and start my own business. And so awesome. Yeah, very lonely process. You need to surround yourself with good people. And I knew how important mentors were. And that's why I reached out to you because I needed help and I couldn't fail. Yeah, it wasn't an option. Yeah. Yeah. So you started your own company, but then now you've morphed into a different company that you own. Yeah, I started a business. My goal was to start a business by 30. I always wanted to have my own business by the age of 30. And that was a big tick box. And when you start a business, you're very naive. Uh, You are very emotional. Mm. Um, There's a lot of hope. There are a lot of assumptions that you make that don't work out as you planned. The first year of business is very difficult, but it is also the foundation for breaking you. And once you are broken, once you let go of the ego, I have to succeed. What do I tell my friends and family at the barbecue? What does my mother-in-law think of me? What do all these things that are on your back and you have to sort of project that you're doing well? Once you fail, and failure can mean a lot of different things, but once you get punched in the face by running your own business, you are somewhat liberated because you start to pick up patterns and you start to figure it out. It's like a math puzzle and it breaks you, but it's good to be broken because you'll either give up or you'll get stronger. So as you get stronger, you start to appreciate what makes a business great. Great businesses are about teams and people and solving problems. And I was working on my own and I realized if I want to build a great business, I need good people around me. So I started a process where I evolved from being a solopreneur to building a meaningful business. And today it is about six years since I decided to go into business and we have a great business, we have a great team, and we're an international business, we've raised funding from investors overseas, and I'm working harder than I ever have, and I'm failing more than I ever have. I fail a lot more today than I did in my first year of business. Wow, that is very inspiring. And there was so much in there that you said that I thought was great, but I have to just point out because it's so applicable to the work that I do. I love how you were talking about, you have to be broken. You've got to get rid of the ego. It's really that microscopic sound that I'm pointing out is really better to let it go. And I just feel like the sooner you learn that, do you feel that way that, I mean, is there some, I would imagine you're kind of grateful that you had some of those hard knocks when you first started out because now you're free of that. Grateful in hindsight. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard when you're sure. going through it, right? Yeah. Business is about solving problems. 
That's what I've realized. No problem, no business. Mm. So you get paid in proportion to the problem you solve. The bigger the problem, the more you get paid. Elon Musk today is solving a problem for people trying to transport things into space. Big problem. Big problem, big reward. Tesla is solving a problem of burning fossil fuels to power our cars. Hundreds of millions of cars on the road. You rely on oil and petroleum. Big problem, big reward. So you need to find the problem that you can solve and you need to be really good at solving it and getting paid to solve it. Hairdressers are solving a problem. Is it the biggest problem in the world? No. So they'll get paid in proportion to that problem. Took me about five years to figure that out. Yeah, that's good. So now you have Wealthy is the name of your company. Yep. And tell us a little bit about what Wealthy does. You have a team. How many are on your team? Eight, ten? We've got a team of nine people. We've got one person in the UK and that rounds us out to a team of 10. And our plan is to probably double that over the next 12 months. And that's a good size. There's a temptation to have a lot of people and to have this big business, but our methodology and our philosophy is let's get really great people and let's try to use as much technology as possible and let's focus our people on the parts that technology can't solve. So yeah, our business is wealthy, wealthy with an I, by the way, we had to be really creative and get that word for us. Mm, Okay. And tell us what wealthy does. Wealthy is a real estate investment platform and When it comes to real estate, there's two real buyers of real estate, very different buyers. Most people are buying a home to live in. Some people are in a fortunate position to buy real estate to rent out as an income generator, as a way to build wealth. And that's who we're really trying to help. We're trying to help this person that's looking at it as an investment. This person that's looking at it as a home has a lot of people in their basket. They've got brokers, they've got Zillow and Redfin and great lenders and a lot of family that will give you advice at a barbecue. A lot of nosy (laughs) neighbors. There's no shortage of nosy neighbors. If you wanna buy a home, go and knock on the door and they'll tell you, you know, all the secrets. But this person, is a little bit lost because they can't approach investing like this person. They don't really care about the color of the walls, the kitchen, the outlook. They're worried about making the numbers work. They're worried about debt and advice and opportunity, really. And so when this person goes and thinks about stocks, they're flooded with advice on stocks. You turn on business channels, they're talking about stocks all the time. 
but who do you turn to when it comes to real estate as an investment? And that's really the gap that we're filling. Yeah, that's so awesome. So awesome. I never really put it in the perspective of the gap. And that's, yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah. I mean, I, I know what y'all do, but I never thought about it in the perspective of how you set it up problem that you're getting paid for. And you're helping people because people really could probably make pretty big mistakes or they might sit there and do nothing because they don't know what yeah. to do. And probably yeah. a lot of things in between that I don't even know about. Absolutely right. And this is the most expensive thing that you will ever buy in your life. It is 20 times the value of a Rolex, two or three times the value of a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. Think of the most expensive thing that's out there in the consumer market. This is a multiple times more expensive. And real estate as an investment is discretionary. You don't need to invest, right? Mm. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. As a home, you don't need to buy a home. You can rent. But most people see it as more of a necessity. I have to pay a certain amount of money every month to live, and that money is either going to buy a home or rent, right? So this basket is a necessity. This basket is discretionary. I can go on a holiday. I can buy a Louis Vuitton bag. I can go into stocks. I can go and buy cryptocurrency. I can go and blow whatever. I can put it in cash and get 0.1% return. Mm -hmm. And so because it's so hard, only a tiny, tiny amount of people end up being successful at it. Mm -hmm. And if you go and have a look in every developed economy and you have a look and see where the wealthy people have made their money, a lot of them have made their money in real estate. And so we're not about the big end of town. We're about helping the individual investor do the hard stuff, and we're trying to make it easy for them in property investment. Do you think that that is something that people maybe aren't even thinking about in the middle of a pandemic? Or no, is that an assumption on my part that the last thing I would be thinking about is investing in a property? Are more people taking advantage of the brilliance of this concept? It's a very fascinating trend because the world doesn't really make sense to us anymore. Mm -hmm. We have a pandemic, businesses closing down, food shortages, I don't need to summarize what's going on. Everyone knows what's going on. But at the same time, the stock market hitting all-time high, the real estate market going through the roof, used cars, okay? Mm -hmm. Used cars are the worst investment you can make. You drive a car out of a showroom and you know it depreciates. But they're actually rising in value. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And... It's not making sense anymore. Mm -mm. So what's happening is some people are like, hey, there's something going on. I need to think about my investments. If you're sitting on cash and you're sitting on a good job and you have the ability to invest, people are starting to take these things with more immediacy. 
But the unfortunate thing is that because of this two-tier economy, a lot of people are being left behind. Mm. They're worried about paying their bills, keeping their job, just surviving. And I think in the United States, it's more extreme than countries like Australia. I don't know. That's an assumption. I might be Mm. completely wrong, and I hope I'm completely wrong because that is a big, big, big problem Mm -hmm. that's going to manifest. If you have a big chunk of society feeling like they're being left behind and only a handful of people reaping the rewards and making money, that imbalance will manifest in different ways. So the pandemic really has not affected your business negatively. From the perspective of, I know it could have very well affected negatively in some areas, but as far as business booming, like I love the analogy of the the used car and it's so true. I mean, if you want to buy an 83 Camaro, you should have bought that two years ago because the price is quadrupled. Yeah. Right. You can't even get one now. So would you say that business as usual or you've actually done, y'all have really done well helping people in the pandemic? Yeah. Business is two parts. There's the marketplace. So, you know, the market that we operate in, is it favorable or is it not favorable? And at the moment it's favorable because interest rates are low, investment values are going up. And all this money is being pumped into the system to encourage investment. Then there's actually running the business itself. And that's about managing people. Mm-hmm. That's about making sure that the team is happy, they're happy in their relationships, they're happy with all aspects of their life that they need beyond money. So we think about it as triple bottom line reporting. People, profit, and planner. And Planet is a relatively new basket, but I think we can talk about that later, but I think that's going to become a more and more important theme for businesses to report on. So traditionally, there was just profit, making money, good. It stops there. But then I think in the past 10 years or so, there's more of a focus on making sure that your team is happy, that you're equal in employment opportunity, that you're empowering people to not just work at any expense, but work in a sustainable way and in a way that they come to work and they treat customers and they're happy because at the end of the day, that's what we are, right? We're not numbers on a computer screen or an Excel spreadsheet. We're human beings. And then how can we as a tiny, tiny, tiny business contribute to leaving this world in a better place for the next generation. And so our ancestors went to war and fought wars. We don't have to do that today, but we've got other battles that we need to invest in to make sure that the planet, whatever your ideology and whatever way you think about it, you can leave it in a better position than what we inherited. So the people side has been a bit tough during the pandemic. Because people have felt so disconnected and has that been a part of it? And I would imagine that's a big part of the challenge. I mean, again, there's a double-edged sword. We started talking today for uh, Zoom and how it's got its own challenges, but it does 
create possibilities for people to be where they most want to be. But that disconnect, is that one of the things that's been so challenging? I think so. Yeah. Particularly in cities. I mean, you take Sydney, for example, and Sydney is known for its social life. Mm. People from all around Australia and all around the world really come to Sydney because you've got it's a cool place to live. It's a network, right? Mm -hmm. And then you shut it down and you force people to work from home and there's now a 24-hour connection cycle. I've got my phone, I've got my computer, and I, it's not like nine to five, you know, the Ford a motor car production line where I'd go to work nine to five, I'd clip off, I'd go whatever and come home, have dinner and sit by the fireplace and read a book or watch TV. Everyone's connected now and you wake up, you do your Zooms, you finish at five or six and then what? You're on your Instagram feed, you're watching Netflix, and you're just connected to this one thing. Mm -hmm. It's hard to go outside. It's hard to go and get a meal. And so that weighs on you. You can do that maybe for a couple of weeks, but you start doing that for like two, three, four months, and it wears people down. Yeah. So it becomes a morale thing in many, many ways. And I think an exhaustion thing too. Do you, I know for me at times, well, it's the Zoom fatigue. Yeah. And it never bothered me. I've done this forever. And it never bothered me until every, I mean, everything, there were no in-person anymore. I mean, obviously I could never do in-person with you until yeah. they lift the restrictions and I can fly over there. But for people in LA, when I lived there or New York, I would say half of it was in-person. So that's not an option anymore. So it's this drain all day. It's a new reality and mm -hmm. it's not sustainable. So, you know, again, I stand outside now and I work on my balcony because I'm also trying to send a message to my team, to the people that watch our podcast, to your audience that you have to deal with the situation that you've been dealt. Yep. I can't work from my office, but that's okay. I'll work from my balcony. I'll go for a walk sometimes and I'll be like, hey, we're on a call. Hey, guys, I'm not turning my camera on because I'm going for a walk, okay? And I don't want you to see my face and I don't want to see your face, but we need to do a meeting and let's, let's do the meeting. So we try as leaders to make the best out of it. But ultimately, I think one of two things is happening. The generation that experienced this pandemic, I think is going to be more resilient and more agile. Mm -hmm. And they're going to look back and say, oh, I remember when I was blah and we had a lockdown and we couldn't go out. And so, hey, let's enjoy life because now we're actually out and about. The benchmark is I know tough times, just like my grandma's generation where she remembers the war and the killing mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And she's like grateful for sitting under a tree and hanging out. Such a good point. I was raised by parents that grew up in the Great Depression. Oh, yeah. Right. It's the same kind of thing. I mean, that's really a great analogy. And one of the things that I love so much about you is I believe that 
everything 100% comes from the top. No pressure, but (laughs) I believe that it does. You get crummy service or a bad deal. You got to look to the top and how is the person at the top investing in their people, treating their people, caring about their people. And that is one thing I could interview all the people that work at Wealthy and they would absolutely say you walk the talk of being a leader. And sometimes that's hard because you're the leader. But it's so important because in the final product, when I walk away satisfied and maybe I never interacted with you, maybe I interacted with one of your team, how they treated me and how they connected with me and how they spoke to me is more important now than ever because of these screens. Oh, thank you. That's very nice of you to say that. And I'm glad that that manifests. And one of the things I've learned is that most people want to work in a team. So we don't think of it as an organization. And I don't call them employees. I call them team because that's Mm. what we are. Mm -hmm. Employee, employer is just a contractual relationship to abide by the law, right? It's just the terms. But we're really a team. And I think most people in a team, what they value most is everybody wants to get paid, everybody wants opportunity. But the thing that really peeves people off is a lack of transparency. It's not being given an opportunity to, not being given input, not being valued as human beings. If we feel like we're being valued and if we feel that somebody is valuing us, all the other problems are set aside. So our role as leaders is to be open and transparent with our team, to empower them, but also surround ourselves with people that can empower us because we don't know it all. We're vulnerable too. We show our vulnerability. I jump on a podcast with you. I record my sessions with you and I share them with the team. And I say, hey, look at me being critiqued. I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to be better. So I found that that works for us. I have some groups in the States that do something similar to what you just said. The the leader literally comes in the group meetings and they are some of the most powerful, some of the most powerful work that I do. So I love that collaboration thing and that willingness to say, yeah, look, I've got stuff to work on too. But, you know, you're spot on the data around sense of belonging and we want to make a difference and we want to be part of something. And every human on earth, I don't care how they've spoken to you or what they've done. They want to matter. Mm. It's innate, right? It's innate. Yeah, absolutely. We're all human beings. So, yeah, sense of appreciation. Just everybody wants to be listened to in their Mm -hmm. own way. Sometimes somebody won't talk. And Mm -hmm. listening is not just audio, but listening is, means different things, but everybody wants to be listened to. And when you listen to them, I think that solves 99% of the problems. A lot of the problems that I found in business and, you know, we operate in real estate and high stakes, high transactions. We operate in a certain part of real estate, which is not only investment, but we're dealing a lot with real estate developers and builders. And so they build, you know, buildings and they build apartments and houses and townhomes. And we connect 
investors with them. And on one side, you're dealing with individuals and on the other side, you're dealing with businesses. But there's one thing that I found leads to the most problems and that is miscommunication. Mm. When there's miscommunication, the door is open for problems. And so communication and transparency, whether you're right or wrong, Tracy, I made a mistake. This is how I'm going to fix it. But I've made a mistake and I just want you to know that I screwed up. That is a million times better than not having that conversation. Every day, all day long. And the thing that we fear never happens. I can't say anything because he's going to get so mad. Yeah. Probably not. It's all the subconscious trying to keep you safe. And it's so critical and it's so freeing when we can do that. When you were talking, I was thinking about, you use the term investor. And I was thinking, I wonder about the people, because you work with individuals as well. I mean, I could be an investor in an Australian, right? Okay. What is the thing that you would say to the person that says, Oh, I don't know how to do that. That sounds like a lot of money. I bet there's a lot of, would that be misconceptions or wrong thinking around who an investor is? Yeah. It's, people say, who's your target market? And I say, they're a mirror of our team. Look at our team. That's who we talk to. So we try at our business, because if you're solving a problem for somebody, they want to feel a connection with you. Right. You can't get a boomer, a 70-year-old boomer, to talk to a 25-year-old millennial. It's going to be like boomer vibes, right? <laughs> and it's going to be like this dumb kid and this old boomer. And it's going to be like talking to your parents. No, ain't happening. So it's about aligning that mirror. And an investor is just really somebody that wants to improve their life, just somebody that wants more than what they have. And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing, right? Because more is not always good. And that's why we decided to call our business wealthy because what does being wealthy mean? Mm. You know, it's not about being rich. It's about being wealthy. My grandfather used to say to me, live a healthy, wealthy and happy life or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I remember that and I always used to think, what is wealth? A lot of people think wealth is just money, but it's Mm not. Mm -hmm. Wealth is about, it's different to me than it is to you. And so living a wealthy life for me is being able to walk my children to school and pick them up because I can have all the money in the world, but that's not necessarily what I want. I want to be able to do that. Somebody else may want to have the ability to take care of their parents or to build a huge farm or to feed children or to drive a flashy car or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. right? Collect the world's best art that might cost billions of dollars. That's your thing. Mm -hmm. And an investor is someone that I believe is on a journey to discover what a wealthy life means for them. I think that y'all ask that question on the podcast, don't you? What is is wealthy? Right. Okay. I didn't think I made that up. So that's the final question on every podcast. Yeah. 
and we encourage people to have different Mm -hmm. insights because we're all different. We're all human beings and we all have different motivations and investing isn't the game. It's what investing gives you and how you use that. You look at Warren Buffett, for example. He is America's most successful investor. But have a look at what he does with his money. You know, what is the point of his investments? Mm-hmm. Have a look at Bill Gates, whether you like him or you hate him, right? Put that aside. But with all the money that he's made, what does he actually do? You may agree with it or not. But if you have a look at those people that have been the most successful at investing and you go and have a look at what they actually do with their money, they usually overindulge and they realize that that doesn't make them happy. And those that are actually go from being rich to being wealthy are those that actually use what they've made to fulfill what they really want out of life. It's usually giving back. Right. Right. And I think, I believe that there's a definition or a thought around an entrepreneur in the same way. You're not being an entrepreneur to sell million dollar launches. That's great. But you're being an entrepreneur so you can do things like you mentioned. You can walk your kids to school or you can work from the beach or you can take five days off because you want to. It's the creating of the life that lights you up. I think our entrepreneurship is an art. We're all artistic in our different ways. And some people like to paint, some people like to sing. You know, not everybody is going to be a good entrepreneur. I'm horrible at painting, right? And I can't sing, for example, but it's a way for me to express my creativity, to go out and to find problems in the market and find commercial solutions and bring them together and grow them and have challenges and same way that someone can pick up a bass guitar and just jam for like five hours and love it or sit down and paint or write poetry. It's to me, it's the same thing. Yeah. Maybe I need to start asking a question at the end of my episodes, Peter, you gave me an idea. Maybe I need to ask people a question like how do they captivate the room? (laughs) or what does a strong voice mean right right what does it mean to to command a presence that i bet i would get some really interesting answers wouldn't i i love that okay i know i'm gonna have to let you go pretty quick because your day is just getting started and i know it's i'm sure it's quite full but what are some wrap-up thoughts that we can Maybe I've got somebody in Australia listening right now, or maybe I've got somebody in France listening right now, or I've got people all over the world, and maybe they never thought about investing in Australian real estate. Anybody anywhere can invest in anything anywhere in Australia. Is that right? Pretty much. We're, I think, one of the most progressive investment communities you will find people investing in Australia from all parts of the world and Australians investing in toll roads and bridges and airports and hospitals all around the world. So we're an open book. We're a very progressive, mature and grown up investment country. Yeah, it might be right for some people. It might not be right Mm. for other people. My philosophy is in invest in what you understand. 
And if you don't understand anything, then try to invest time in understanding something that's going to help you grow and achieve your goals, whatever they are in life. So we live and operate in a time where the value of cash is diminishing. Mm -hmm. If I work hard and I put money in the bank, I get robbed. Mm -hmm. The bank takes my money. It doesn't even hold it anymore. And it lends it to you. So, and what do I get in return? If I'm lucky, I'm going to get a fraction of a percent return every year. And then the government wants to tax me on that. So there's something going on, right? There's a big thing going on where savers are being robbed and people who borrow and invest are being rewarded. Unfair game. A lot of people will fall behind and we care about that. We want to communicate and explain that that's not a good thing. So it's good to be aware because while life is not all about money, money gives us choices and we all work. And we all try to keep a little bit for ourselves after paying all our bills. And that little bit can help make life easier if you know how to manage it. Well, it sounds like a really fun thing to do. <laughs> it's fun when you're making money. It's not fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, see, I just, you know, my mind just doesn't go there because I just work from everything is always working out. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's because you're a positive person and I'm just this beaten down, punched in the face <laughs> guy that sees problems all day and is trying to be, yeah. But real estate's great because if you get real estate right, it's really easy. I like doing easy things. Mm. I don't like complicating my life. And life's too short to complicate things and usually something that's easy is worth doing. Real estate's not a walk in the park. It is not mm. a one-way street. There are no straight lines like you see a post there in, in nature, there are no real straight lines. There's the horizon mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. there's no such thing as, you know, a market always going up or a market always crashing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. markets usually work in squiggly lines and real estate's not going to always go up and it's not going to always fall if it's falling. It's about picking a long-term trend. And if you can afford and you can position yourself to invest in real estate, my last advice would be this. You don't need to invest in Australia. You don't need to follow our investment style, but you need to do one thing. And that one thing is this. Invest in the best quality thing that you can afford. Mm. You know what that just reminded me of was the Tiffany story. Yeah. Maybe you should tell that story and then we'll wrap it up. Here's a (laughs) Tiffany story for all you guys. My wife and I were engaged. Uh, She used to work in jewelry and she knows her stuff and she's very artistic and I'm not. My artistic mind expresses itself in a non-visual way. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to buy her something nice and I didn't have a big salary and I thought I'd go to Tiffany's and can't go wrong with Tiffany's. I walked in and I ended up buying her a really nice silver bracelet. They packaged it, they put a bow on it, they give you this bag and I was really happy and we went out to dinner that night said hey i got you something and she saw the bag and her face dropped like the first warning sign was <laughs> tiffany's right oh no he's been scammed and then she opens it up and she's like is this silver and i was like yeah 
And she's like, why'd you buy silver? And I was expecting a different outcome, but she taught me a lesson and it was a very good lesson. I got sucked in to the marketing, Mm -hmm. okay? I could have gone and have bought gold for the same amount of money without the label and without the bow and without the pretty bag. So the lesson I learned, and I credit her for it, is that it would have been more important to have taken the little amount of money that I had and bought a little bit of gold than to have bought a lot more silver. Some people like silver, they'll say, no, you know, silver is a better mm-hmm. investment. Gold is more rare. It's more valuable. It's a tried and trusted thousands and thousands of years store of wealth. And the point is there that you get a lot less gold than you get silver for the same amount of money. That's because it's higher quality. It's more rare and that justifies its value. Yeah. Such a great story and so much valuable information and that you shared with us today. And it was great having you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for putting up with me. We've, uh, just looking at the time, I'm like, wow, it's great so. much. <laughs> it did. It went really fast. And it's just always such a pleasure to have a conversation with you. And I really love the impact that you're making with your voice, not only because you do all the things with it, but you're really making a difference in the world with your voice. And that's really the line of, of the ending question you know, how are you making a big impact in the world with your voice? And I know you and I know your team and I know y'all are doing amazing work in the world and making a difference in so many people's lives. So thank thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you for being here and sharing your time with us. And we're going to have to not wait six, seven years to have you back. You're the boss. So you (laughs) let me know whenever you want me back and thank you very much for helping us for genuinely helping us and for caring and for teaching us in a really really effective way and though it's not always easy to teach adults particularly people that are in business and we all have our guard and it's hard to let it down but you do a great job so anybody who hasn't worked with you yet i encourage them to reach out Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. And thank you, listeners. It's always great to have you with me. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. And until I see you next time, you know what to do. Get out there and speak your truth. Just do it beautifully. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab the voice formula a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes.